Hello, and welcome to On Record In Conversation. I'm Jess Collins from the Birmingham Music Archive. In this podcast series, recorded in front of a live studio audience, we explore the vibrant and diverse music history, heritage and culture of Birmingham through the stories of some of those who have shaped and continue to influence the city's musical landscape. In this episode, Adrian Goldberg talks to Al Shanti, a musical self-expressionist based in Birmingham. Al's performances use looping guitars and emotive songwriting and vocals to bring the audience into her world. Al talks about her work and mission to give artists with invisible illnesses a platform to perform and discuss their experiences. Welcome to Symphony Hall for a conversation with one of the country's brightest emerging artists. Her track, Gleams, with Bert H, has registered 1.7 million streams on Spotify. Lost Universe, another half a million streams. She isn't just a singer, though. She is a model, and she also founded Radical Body, which creates art by and for disabled artists. Ladies and gentlemen, Elle Chant. Those are quite amazing figures, though, though, aren't they, all those streaming figures? Yeah, I think um, the internet's a weird place, because if I saw 1.7 million people listening to my track, I would feel very overwhelmed. <laughs> but, um, like, seeing it on a screen feels very different, so, yeah. How does something like that take off from zero to 1.7 million streams? Um, I think there's lots of, like, infrastructural pushes that go behind um, something like that. So that was with UKF, um, well, with Pilot Records that um, owns UKF. Um, so that was a giant platform for that song to get um, pushed to. So yeah, we were really happy when we heard about it. Yeah, and how do people get to hear it then? I mean, you've obviously got a record company behind it and you've got a producer in Bert H, but how does it then get out there and put your name in the spotlight? Well, um, yeah, I mean, uh, UKF is a really big platform um, and they yeah, did some magic publishing jazz and, uh, <laughs> and it went well. So, <laughs> so 1.7 million streams for that track, half a million for another. Obviously, then you can put your feet up and spend the rest of your time doing not very much because you'll, you'll, you'll be loaded. You've had a massive hit record or two. Well, unfortunately, Spotify doesn't work that way. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it would be great if it was. Um, Lost Universe was uh, interesting, actually. I've enjoyed all the projects that I've worked with Bert H on. So, yeah, I really enjoyed them. Yeah, in all seriousness, though, I mean, this is one of the issues with the industry at the moment, isn't it, is that you can have what, by any standards, would be a massive hit, but it actually isn't life-changing in terms of the sums of money it brings to you. Yeah, I think um, that's something that's been really interesting about my career in general, because when I look at my Spotify for Artists and like who's listening to it, it's not close to me. So my audience is, you know, in Poland and other areas and Prague, I don't know, you know, New Zealand and stuff like that, that isn't actually close to where I live, which is quite funny then in, in translation to gigging and stuff like that. Yeah, but I suppose a tribute to the power of music as well, though, is that yeah. your music, you know, in a sense, is, is reaching people who you wouldn't have imagined would have been listening to it. 
Yeah, totally agree. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell me a bit about, you know, you said it's, it's not close to where you are geographically. You still live in the West Midlands. Tell me about a little bit about growing up, where you were born and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, so I was born in, um, I was actually born in London, um, in Essex, and uh, moved to Birmingham when I was about three. Um, and grew up for most of my life in Erdington, occasionally in Stafford, but generally in Erdington. Um, and then moved at the start of 2020 to Wolverhampton. So yeah, generally been in the West Midlands um, for most of my life and definitely grew up in Birmingham. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, if you're happy to, about yeah, sure. your disability and so on. Tell me about your health when you were younger. I have two physical health conditions. So I've got um, something called postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome and joint hypermobility syndrome. Um, the first one, which we'll call POTS for short, it means that when I change posture, um, I can pass out. Uh, so it's as problematic as it sounds. <laughs> um, and the second one, it means that basically all my joints are more mobile than they should be and culminates in a lot of nerve pain, joint pain, injuries, etc. And those two conditions, well, the first one um, is linked with EDS, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Um, it's very hard to get a diagnosis for Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome in the UK. And uh, POTS is often related to that as well because it's essentially that my collagen doesn't work the same way that other people's do um, and it's stretchier than it should be down to veins and organs and all types of anything that's a muscle, basically. So. Wow. Because yeah. before we started recording this, I said, would you mind just coming out for, for five minutes just to take some pictures in front of the boards? And you said, oh, you know, my legs aren't great today. And because mm -hmm. to look at you, you look, you know, you look wonderful. And, and yet there is this condition there, which I guess is, is always there and always liable to manifest itself. Yeah, I think I'm very big on like raising awareness for invisible illnesses because I know that I am not a prime suspect for being disabled. Um, and like that affects me a lot, down to people asking if I can move out of the disabled seats on the, the bus or whatever, or the train, or, you know... Um, Thinking that you're blagging it by yeah, being in the disabled seats. Getting yeah. evil glares, you know, like, it's a yes. bit it's rough sometimes. Um, and it's one of them funny things, because it's like, you know, if I was ill, I wouldn't be out the house, so you're not going to see me when I'm ill most of the time. You know, it's hard enough to work up the courage and the identity to use a visual aid sometimes. So, you know, it's a complex life. <laughs> yes, well, it's a reminder, isn't it, that, you know, that phrase that not all disabilities are visible, clearly. Yeah. yeah. So are those two conditions, the POTS and the hypermobility, are they connected? Are they um, related conditions? Yeah, so they're, they're genetic. Uh, well, joint hypermobility syndrome is genetic. Um, POTS is often related to joint hypermobility syndrome and EDS, but isn't stereotypically classed as genetic. <laughs> it's a bit of a... It's a bit mind-boggling, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the, the, I mean, I'm hearing this story for the first time, and you know, the idea that something as simple as a change of posture can lead to you passing out. Yeah, it's it's very frustrating. A lot of the time, it's okay. There's things that I do, like drinking a lot of water. Like I'm supposed to drink three to four liters of water in a day and eat a very high salt diet. And you know, I probably haven't tried, but if you Google high salt diet like nothing comes up literally nothing just how to reduce your salt intake <laughs> um so yeah it's like it's difficult but 
yeah, most of the time it, it's fine. Um, but the times where it's not fine, if I am passing out, can you know, even if that's once a week or whatever, you know, if I pass out and hurt my wrist and I've injured it and then that's me for like a week and a half or whatever or, you know, times I've fell into my fridge trying to put clothes in the washing machine, etc. Like, it's very complicated. <laughs> it's yeah. hard to manage. Yeah, and, the, and there's, then there's the rest of you that is the singer, that is the creative artist that wants to record, that potentially wants to tour as well. So how do the conditions impact on those ambitions that you would legitimately have as an artist? Um, well, I think... I have gone through a journey of putting my health first because if I am not healthy, I can't do anything. And that's taken a while. Unfortunately, music is not as accessible as I would very much like it to be. Um, And I spent a lot of time when I was first gigging, going to anything and everything for free (laughs) and performing like a lot. And that was really hard for me. Then I had a really terrible experience and nearly passed away and that basically made all my health conditions worse because I had to be had to like stay in bed for a long period of time and then like there was a lot muscle atrophy etc or whatever um not crazy but you know and that made a lot of my joints then worse and my pots worse and then I really had to reevaluate how I was going to go into music um so I actually started in electronic music I had a grant through Uh, an organisation called Punch Records that gave me some money to fund some music equipment which they wasn't going to but because I couldn't leave the house to do anything else they were like yeah we can give it you for music equipment and contacted a lot of the artists that I liked listening to Um, I was like hey I really like your music do you want to do anything like (laughs) and and some of them responded some of them just said no and um, that was actually how I got into electronic music so like you know if I hadn't been so ill Maybe I would have still been going to any and everything eight times a week, like so. So, so, so what were your musical roots before that? I was always quite an eclectic person. Um, I think music to me was like a friend. Like um, growing up was very difficult. My school experiences were very difficult, and music was probably just the only thing that you know felt like a friend to me. Felt like somewhere safe, and I listened to loads of stuff like um any and everything most of the time um and a lot of electronic music which wasn't I didn't really have any friends that were also listening to electronic music definitely not in like year seven and eight I don't know so (laughs) so who were the artists you loved growing up um well Chase and Stayers I love Chase and Stayers um on the acoustic side I love Daughter um a bit older FK Twigs yeah, it was uh, quite mash. <laughs> but yeah, I really, I really like listening to just different types of music and kind of taking it in and experiencing how I was feeling with the different types. But it was your condition and the fact that you couldn't get out and tour that really drove you towards electronic music. This was something that you could do and control at home, perhaps with the collaboration of artists that you, you admired. Yeah, I think it was just what I really liked at the time. Um, I would say like electronic one of the one artist that I worked with that actually led me to Bert H uh, was an amazing artist called Corey, um, and he does kind of it's called ambient future garage sort of thing. Or he was doing more there. He also does some orchestral stuff, which is amazing. But yeah, and uh, I don't know, it just spoke to my soul. It, it lands in the electronic pot, and I feel like it is a very large part of many many things. Um, <laughs> but uh, somehow, 
well, basically, we did a track together called Safe at Last, and then Bert H did a bootleg remix of that, um, which went on Liquidity, I think. And then that's how I met Bert. So, yeah, the world works in random ways. Bert H, you've had these big hits with, all these yeah. big streaming hits with. Anyway, you said that growing up, music was at times your only friend. I don't want to stir up unpleasant or unnecessary memories for you, but what can you tell us about that? Well, um, I'm quite open talking about, um, aside from physical health conditions, I also have dealt with um, mental health conditions and my upbringing was very complicated. Um, I was actually adopted, uh, which was complex in itself and it's not something that I've even like got used to talking about um, because I had such bad experiences with it like growing up in terms of people's responses to me being like I'm adopted and the 20 questions that follow. And then I unfortunately went through um, some abuse uh, that uh, meant that I suffered, suffer and suffered with um, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, um, as well as depression, anxiety, OCD, and agoraphobia. <laughs> um, so it was hard, and I think like home life was difficult, um, and school life was difficult as well. I wouldn't count myself as anybody like popular or anything like that I, I never felt like that I think children are a bit like I don't know they've got extra senses they're like oh you've been picked on like <laughs> I don't know I feel like I just drew things towards me sometimes and I just had a difficult time in like all the schools I was in I think mm, mm. Um, and the safest place for me was in the music room yeah and you were also coping with these physical issues as well when did they first start becoming obvious to you um I think wasn't that obvious me and my brother both had it and my brother grew out of it which is really interesting they can't really explain why some people grow out of pots um but he doesn't really get it much at all I don't think anymore and it was just a joke to us like you know it wasn't n nothing was diagnosed until I was probably like 18 something like that but then when I got really ill when I was 19 then everything got a lot worse so, um, yeah, obviously I was always very bendy, <laughs> but the problems didn't kind of, weren't as bad until older. I was dealing with sciatic pain, but it, it didn't get to a point where it was causing me a lot of issues until afterwards. Wow, so there's a, there's a real, there's a lot in there, isn't there? How do you think that's fed into your music? I mean, you've explained how you came to electronic music through your disabilities, but some of the emotional stuff that you've been through. How, how do you think that feeds into your music? When I was dealing with things that were difficult, I didn't have people that understood. I felt like I didn't have people that understood, could understand what I was going through. Like, I make this joke, like, oh, you know, I came out of the womb and I was, like, 60 going on 70, like... <laughs> um, but as a child, like, I didn't connect with a lot of people that were, like, my age because I was going through a lot of a lot of stuff and everybody else was doing their yeah like playing and I don't know childhood like <laughs> um happy-go-lucky and I was suffering and like that was hard um and I felt like one of the things that comforted me was to like write it down write out sing it and like hear it back and that was probably one of the only things that felt validating to me um, when nobody my age could have validated me, I think, at that time. 
So you validated yourself through music and... Yeah, I definitely <laughs> actualized it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. There is something, you know, and forgive me, you'll have heard these descriptions before, but something very ethereal and dreamlike about your music and whether just subconsciously you think there is something about going into another world, a world in which you sort of lose yourself. Thank you. <laughs> um, I think for me it was, it was my world. Like, I didn't realise that people liked listening to my music until I was about 17, I think. Um, I'm lucky enough to have some school friends in the audience here today. And uh, <laughs> I was in a band when I was at school. And we used to get up in assembly, teachers would be like, oh, can you do this? And I'd be like, all right. And, uh, you know, we'd get up in assembly and everybody would be like, Ugh, like, not those friends over there. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I, didn't, I didn't think it was like enjoyable for anybody. But I um, went to a, it was a like youth organisation uh, called Beat Freaks when I was like 17, I think. I went to six form for three months and I had to drop out because of my agoraphobia and depression. And then, so I was like trying to find things to do and my dad, bless him, drove me everywhere because I was too anxious to go anywhere. So thank you, dad. <laughs> yeah, and uh, went to like, it was like a musical, like youth-ish group sort of thing. And I remember like performing, I think it was a cover of like Thinking About You or something like that. And everybody was just like, it's really good. <laughs> And yeah, I don't know, it was weird. <laughs> the first time I've ever felt popular in my whole life. Like, <laughs> uh, um, So were you singing or playing as well? Um, oh yes, yeah, so I play guitar. I think somebody else was playing guitar for me uh, yeah. for that performance. But um, yeah, a lot of my like initial gigging was with the guitar. Um, and I'd like played and wrote songs on guitar since I was about 11-ish, probably. Um, there was a time when... Um, I lived in Stafford, and uh, I used to like record on Audacity, I think it was called. Um, and me and my dad had to travel from Stafford to Birmingham uh, every day to like go to school. And I would like sit in the car on my computer, doing all the layers and stuff. Like I, I, I don't know where I found the drive to do it. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would like record at home with. I think at the time my dad's electric guitar and then like edit it in the car, whatever, while I was traveling to school. Brilliant. And you've mentioned a couple of Birmingham-based mm. organizations, Punch Records, Ammo Talwar's organization, yeah. which gave you a little grant, and Beat Freaks, which is based out of Northfield in Birmingham, I think. And since you've kind of become public with your music, have you, have you felt supported by the local music community? Um... I feel like in the, in the grant, like, yes, like that definitely kick-started things and enabled me to record. I feel like when I was ill, I felt like there was nothing for me. Being disabled and being an artist just doesn't, doesn't go. Not in the, the structures that we have around at the moment for music. So, like, I don't feel like anybody could have supported me in that with the structures that they had. You know, I still deal with it now. People be like, oh, you still do music? Like, because I wasn't there, like, people assumed that I had left the face of the earth. I don't know. Like, you know, stopped and given up on my hopes and dreams. And, you know, I think it's, 
yeah, I mean, that was one of the reasons why me and my very good friend Tom co-founded uh, Radical Body because we just felt like the structures for careers in the arts weren't they weren't anywhere near good enough. <laughs> and so, and yeah. that, so Radical Body, is, is that for all artists who have a disability or specifically for those with invisible illnesses like yourself? Oh, it's for everybody. Yeah? Yeah, it's for everybody. It's so so what, what can you do then? As you know, that obviously this is a passion of yours and you speak very, you know, forcefully about it. What can you actually do then to help people, to our artists who have disabilities? I think it's really important to just raise awareness for it. So like talking about it, I'm very... I'm talking about my health and problems I've had. Um, Tom is extremely open about talking about their health and their the issues that they face. Um, there's unfortunately a lot of complaining, and uh, me and Tom don't enjoy any of it. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a, there's a good bit of that. I'm also an ambassador for the Featured Artist Coalition, and Attitude is Everything, um, and talk at some of their events about like my experiences, my experiences in, in art, my experiences in venues and art. And then as Radical Body, um, we're trying to develop a framework that enables people with disabilities and especially people that find it difficult to leave the house um, to have opportunities in the art sector. Um, we're really passionate about disabled people having careers in the arts. Like it's not good enough to just let disabled people participate. Um, you know, we should be able to have careers in the arts and that should be a viable option for us because we're as talented as anybody else so yeah we do that in a few ways like we've worked on um, creating a live streaming setup so that we can stream disabled artists in their homes in front of live audiences um, and we've tested that out we tested it out at house found uh, which was a event with a level center um that Tom was very much in charge of. <laughs> um, and we also did like, we did a scratch night, uh, posting out 4K Zoom cameras to some artists, uh, which was funded by the, the Blaygrave. Um, and we also uh, did a play called Seasick, which was about coming to terms with chronic illness, which was funded by Arts Council England and supported by the Belgrade Theatre in Coventry. So yeah, it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of, hard work and relying on people and their kindness I would say but yeah we're like really passionate about it both me and Tom so yeah I suppose the technology now means that as an artist with a disability and, and with an invisible illness there is actually scope to be seen and heard in a way that wouldn't have been possible for previous generations you know there, there is the opportunity there to build an infrastructure around that yeah I think um COVID was really eye-opening for a lot of people in lots of different ways, but I think it was just extremely interesting about how everything instantly became accessible as soon as it was everybody's problem, you know, like, um, that's a bit crazy. <laughs> we are, like, we've, we've been existing in, like, Twitch and Discord and, you know, all that. We've been there for, like, ages with our gaming buddies when we can't leave the house and stuff, you know, like... And then everybody came while COVID was happening and... That was great. It was like, oh, all of a sudden we can also join in in events and stuff that like we might not have otherwise been able to attend. And then COVID has ended and it's like, oh, is this live streaming stuff going to stay? Like, <laughs> so it's a bit strange, I would say. But yeah, like we've because it's been a reality for us, you know, and other other types of people like elderly people that might find it difficult to leave the house as well, like we've existed in the live streaming and the video telepresence, you know, like, I don't know, like all that. We've, we've been 
here for a while and it's important that like that's still seen as a viable form of art because it is and people you know make careers out of their patrons and twitch streams and all that stuff and yeah it's it's important so yeah yeah you're, you're obviously so absorbed in the world of creating music but also representing people with some of the issues that you've got was anything other than music and creativity ever a, a career option for you um i used to dance um when i was younger um and i primarily did um, street dance then when i went to sixth form i did contemporary very unsuccessfully uh for a few months <laughs> and um that has always felt really expressive to me as well like moving i really enjoyed it um i stopped because of uh, mostly worrying that i was going to pass out on stage i was like oh god what if i ruin a performance like you know <laughs> just me timbering at the back like you know i, I was worried about that um also, like, my anxiety and stuff for mental health just made it really difficult for me to kind of get to those things, uh, like classes and stuff, consistently. And I also work as a plus-size model, so uh, that was something I fell into by accident again. Um. <laughs> Go on, tell, tell us about that, then how did that happen? Well, I went to a confidence-building workshop, and they had an audition, and I was like, mm, I've paid for the workshop, mm, guess I may as well go to the audition. So I went to the audition... I got through to I got through that time, um, but I was too ill that time. I think I was in hospital and stuff more around that year. So I did it again the next year. Um, I got through to the semi-finals and then the finals, and then I had like a catwalk grand thing, and um, yeah, and I won the competition. So I was so unwell because of all the all the rehearsals were in London, so I was travelling to and from London. Mm. Um, I came in with my walking stick and I was like, well, I don't know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this, like, sort of thing. And, um, yeah, I was on painkillers and I was, like, I was watching the videos back, the back of the stage while they were doing, what people were changing and stuff. And I was like, am I even walking straight? Like, you know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it turned out well and, uh, yeah, got into modelling through that and that's been something that's also been part of my creative expression i suppose yeah so. no, i'd say it is yeah <laughs> and uh, i mean you were obviously you know you were dealt a difficult hand by nature with the disabilities that you have and also by life because of some of the the trauma that you've been through how was school in terms of recognizing acknowledging helping any of that um school was just hard like I always say to people like you could not pay me to go back to school <laughs> like I remember being in school people being like oh when you're young these are the best days of your life and I was like oh god no please like <laughs> so it's not true this is as good as it gets <laughs> um yeah um again like the structures that were in place it just wasn't good enough like when I went to college because I had to drop out of sixth form because of my health and then I I went to like a college open day, wherever it was, and the, the college didn't want to let me join, even though I was 17 and I had to be in education. They were like, oh, well, like, who's to say you're not going to do it again, basically? And this woman quizzed me about my trauma. She was like, oh, you know, um, so why have you got PTSD then? In like a room full of people, you know, like to assess whether I could join the college, I suppose. 
um, which I wrote a complaint about. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, like I think I think a lot of education systems don't realise how important they are in children's life. Like if you're at school, you might see a teacher more than you see your parent. Like that's crazy. That's how much time they're spending with children, and for college as well. Like, and I feel like there isn't as much again, safeguarding and structures and things in place to really, like, look after people in their formative years. Yeah, I mean, if there are educators listening to this, I'm sure there'll be some people listening <laughs> who, who work in schools and colleges. What could they do to help the young you if they saw somebody like you in future? Um, I think listening more i think sometimes people like to act like they know everything and we don't nobody knows everything but you can ask like <laughs> um yeah i think listening to young people listening to experiences like not assuming that you have to know everything and make actions based on what you know i don't know i just i also feel like there's quite a few like people put people in places and be like, oh, yeah, we have a counsellor, whatever. Oh, we have somebody for emotional health and whatever, and just to look like it's there. And we also, like, me and Tom also experienced that a lot in um, venues sometimes. They were like, oh, yeah, it's BSR interpreted. Like, you know, we care about access. And then won't have, like, a ramp to the stage or, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like won't ask you about any access needs and stuff. And, it, you know, I think there's a lot of, unfortunately, kind of pretending like... You care about something to fit yeah, a box. People, people pay yeah. lip service, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. And and it's about more than the box. It's about more than ticking the box and being like, we yeah. have this, we have this. It's about actually caring and and listening to people and having empathy. Yeah, it's a yeah. whole conversation, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> but you mentioned. I mean, there are a couple of friends here from from school. So tough as it was, I mean, you did make friendships. Thankfully, that endure. Yeah, I did, yeah. Um, uh, me and Bethany <laughs> um, I got closer after school, um, interestingly. They were nice enough to invite me to parties after I left sixth form because of my agoraphobia. So <laughs> I very much appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. And tell me a bit about your relationship with the West Midlands then. Obviously, you grew up in Erdington, or well, spent most of your formative years in Erdington. After Essex, we'll, we'll politely brush, brush aside Essex the, the Essex part of it, yeah, yeah, and live now in Wolverhampton. <laughs> is it important to you that you're in, in this part of the world? Yeah, like, I feel like it is, it is my home. I don't think I'm the sort of person that would feel that comfortable moving really far away from family. Um, I have a very, very small family. Yeah, me, my dad and my brother, generally. Um, and my brother's doing amazing at Brighton University at the moment. But yeah, like, I don't think I would want to go too far from that. And I've, I have made friends, like, here um, that I appreciate yeah. a lot, yeah. And did you, did you feel encouragement and support to become a musician, which is obviously a, you know, very sort of dicey lifestyle, isn't it? I mean, tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think the relationship that me and my dad had, because we, we'd already gone through so much stuff, we were just, just like, I was really supported in anything I wanted to do, really, because we didn't sweat the small stuff because we'd been through a lot of big things. Um, that was really important to me. Like I said, like him driving me around when I was having a really bad time with my mental health, like, I don't know, w would I have 
become an artist if he didn't drive me to those things you know that's why like access is so important but yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean you, you've talked a lot about the difficulties i mean legitimately because it's, it's it's clearly been a struggle and is a struggle in many ways but what are the things that you love about being a musician and an artist more generally i really like it when people are like um i don't know i like when i've touched somebody's feelings like i feel like that's really important i feel like Especially in today's day and age, it's it's very difficult to feel validated. Sometimes, you know, we've got social media and stuff, and I always say this all the time, but yeah, you know, social media means everything's awesome, but it's not always like that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I feel like there's certain things that can kind of help people to open up when things are difficult and like, process stuff. I feel like music is definitely one of those things, and I feel happy that like I'm able to bring experiences to people, share experiences, like let other people share my experiences. Um, and like when people, you know, cry at my performances and stuff, it sounds weird. You, you'd be <laughs> like, what's the best thing about music? Me making, making people cry. cry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like um, um, people like being like, oh, that it really touched them. Um, and even saying like, oh, you know, I did a talk before um, and somebody said, oh, that, that actually made me realise that I went through a lot of that as well. Just, yeah, that means a lot to me. And like when we did, when me and Corey did Safe at Last, somebody commented on one of the videos and said that it got them through a really hard time with depression and stuff. And I think that's the sort of thing that really does make me feel like it's worth doing. I think um, feeling like I'm connecting with people especially because I live such a solitary life a lot of the time mm. because of my health and other things you know um I think connecting with people in that way is really important to me and you mentioned those you know those hundreds of people all around the world outside of this area mm -hmm. outside of this geographical area people in Poland or wherever who are finding something in your sounds that even though it's not their first language perhaps that that speaks to them yeah, it's crazy when you think about it. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful as well. Tell me how you feel about this part of the world, though, Birmingham and the West Midlands generally. How, how would you sum up your thoughts about this area? Um, I think it's a really diverse area. Like, I think when I go outside of Birmingham, I'm like, wow, like, goodness, <laughs> I, I didn't realise it was like this everywhere else. Like, <laughs> um, you know, I feel genuinely lucky that I've grown up in a place where there are a lot of cultures in Birmingham and I feel like we're generally quite accepting of the different cultures and we try and build that into our city. Um, I also feel like with Birmingham, I feel like like the people here have the largest dreams, like the biggest ambitions, like they really want to go for stuff, uh, which is actually what I wrote my um, track Dynasty about. I do feel like, unfortunately, there's not enough infrastructure, um, which is kind of understandable, like, you know, um, in terms of, like, I wrote Dynasty about Birmingham being part of the industrial, like, revolution and all that sort of stuff, and, like, it, it was all the factories, etc., and, you know, that's what Birmingham was made and set up for and then all this creative stuff came in it's like you know where we're putting this sort of um so yeah and I I wrote Dynasty about kind of in the metaphor of the industrialism 
but these people trying to make their dreams come true and like do what they love and you know and yeah I just I do feel like people in Birmingham are very powerful with their with their ambitions I do yeah and the dynasty is the kind of the creativity being handed down from one generation to another yeah I feel like it's like you know if if we did come together what what would we be like would we be the capital of England <laughs> oh no you know <laughs> and, and for people who don't know dynasty is the track on the on record compilation that accompanies this podcast series it is also the theme tune to the podcast series Yay. as well and you've talked about people <laughs> dreaming big Come on then. What's your what's your big dream? What do you want to achieve? My big dream. I would like to put on multisensory events that are accessible with like beds in the back for people to have naps in. Like <laughs> and yeah, it would be like there would be smells and all types of things and I don't know. It yeah, it would be like a a community performance I feel like that was there for lots of different types of people and accessible to a lot of different types of people. So, so a multidisciplinary sort of arts performance space but that was adapted so that everyone yeah. could feel welcome yeah, and could um, engage. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a great idea. <laughs> yeah, I just got to find the people to help me execute it. <laughs> and what would you say your biggest achievement so far is? Um, I very recently got funded by Arts Council England to make an accessible performance practice. I feel like that's pretty big, to be fair. Like, It's basically like, how can I perform? How can I tour and stuff like that and look after my health at the same time? And like, for it to be acknowledged that it's such a big problem that they would give me the money to fund me to help me do it is like giant. Um, I think that really acknowledges that disabled people do have a lot of different barriers and problems um, compared to non-disabled people in the industry uh, so it's to like help me look at how can I move on stage you know what, what levels of movement can I do on stage depending on how my legs feel and you know um, what sort of singing lessons can I get where standing up isn't the first thing I have to do I feel like that's really big for me I feel like uh, the streams with Bert H is also really big and I also feel like I started producing in like 2020 and I put out my first EP this year that was co-produced for some of the tracks uh, and produced for one of the tracks or two of the tracks. But um, coming out as a female producer, I feel like is a big achievement because it's scary. It's a scary world out there. Like I am the minority <laughs> and uh, yeah, like it's hard to work up the confidence to do that and I'm proud that I've managed to work up the courage to really try and authentically be myself so yeah no I think you deserve every credit for it without being patronizing <laughs> it's been a, an incredible journey and uh, you've done a wonderful job raising awareness for invisible disabilities I'm sure you go on doing that but also you make really fantastic distinctive dreamy pop so <laughs> thank you well done to you thank you El Chant, ladies and gentlemen. On Record, In Conversation is produced by Siobhan Stevenson for the Birmingham Music Archive and presented by Birmingham 2022 Festival with the generous support of Arts Council England and the National Lottery Heritage Fund.